our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And why don't we just go back and do just a touch of review. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, as we read through these verses, we find that Timothy, a young preacher, had quite a task put upon him. The church at Ephesus had just survived a riot. There was a lot of things, a lot of fear and um, uh, just turbulence in society. Paul was going into Macedonia and he said, Timothy, you stay here and I want you to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And so Timothy was listening. He was checking with people. He was being very careful. And when he heard someone begin going in a direction that was not true to the Bible, then Timothy had to take it upon himself to confront that individual and say, listen, Paul asked me to stay here, and you can't teach that because it's not proper doctrine. And, of course, it was much more difficult for them than it is for us today because they did not have the Bible to pick up in their hand uh, Paul had, uh, Timothy had just received this letter and he is doing his best. And Paul begins to describe for him the different types of false doctrine, how you can tell false doctrine from true doctrine. And he says, now listen, here's what, here's what all true doctrine will produce. It will produce charity, love in action. If it doesn't produce that, it's not sound doctrine. It's not the truth. And if you don't have a pure heart, if it's not coming out of a single heart, a single desire, you know, we live in a world full of ulterior motives, don't we? 
Uh, we always have people trying to read between the lines and trying to uh, make their little comments. I, I get a little nervous when somebody comes and says, they're playing mind games. And, and I just look at them and say, you know something, I got rid of mine a long time ago. There's nothing to play with up there. Uh, I mean, I've, I've heard people say things and I know I'm supposed to take offense at them. But why? Let God get rid of your mind. Get it stayed upon the Word of God. Don't always try to figure out what everybody says. You know, when is the last time a politician said anything they meant? Now, I've heard people say all kinds of things that are just absolutely uh, insane, inane, meaningless if you don't get out of here, I'm going to explode. Now, me, I'm just a little sarcastic. I, I might want to stick around and watch that happen. Um, I don't want to get any of it on me, but I, I might just want to stick around and see if that really does happen because I've heard an awful lot of people say it and it never does. Uh, you know, and, and said, I just lost my head. Well, talk to Marie Antoinette, but I don't think you're going to do that around here. Uh, we have all of these statements that we use that just don't make any sense. Listen, let's get on track. If it's not producing what God tells us He wants, let's get it out of our life. We do not need to pretend faith. If you're pretending your faith, it's not biblical faith. Uh, I like the way Brother Blunkall put it last Sunday night. You poke it, what comes out? You better watch out. If you have real faith, you can test it. I've had people say, Oh, Pastor, you, you don't know you don't even want to hear some of my questions. Well, that may or may not be true, but if you have any honest question, we're not afraid of it here. And if you ask dishonest questions, I'm going to give you an honest answer. But you might not like the answer. One guy asked the question one time, he said, Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? And I thought about that. And most of you know the answer if you've been around here very long. It's the heart of a person that refuses to believe in God. That's the rock that God can't move. He won't make you go to heaven. And if you're silly enough to ask that question, you might have one of those hearts that God's not, want, uh, not able to move. You'd better get your heart straightened around. Amen? Uh, let's, let's serve the Lord. It says here that we're supposed to have charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. Now, here's where we're going to start tonight. It says, From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Now, there's an awful lot of vain jangling going on in the world today. 
There are doctrines that are discussed. There are things that are talked about. And, and I've been in churches and I've heard sermons. And I'm talking uh, preachers that's supposed to believe the Bible. Uh, my wife might even remember this sermon. It's one of the saddest days that I've ever had in sitting in church where the preacher preached the entire sermon on Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham was going to explain to Mrs. Abraham that he had murdered their son. Now, if you've ever read Genesis chapter 22, if you've ever read Isaiah, I mean uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you know the answer to that. Abraham was obeying God. God said, take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. A burnt offering, that means to kill him. But what did Abraham believe? Abraham said, listen, God made a promise that in Isaac shall my seed be called. Therefore, if God wants me to kill him, he will raise him back up out of the ashes. And he will be alive. Read Hebrews chapter 11. That's vain jangling, my friends. Trying to play upon your emotions to get some kind of decision is not Bible. If you can't make a decision because God's Word says so, you better be careful. I, I sat there and, and being a preacher, I, I, especially as a young preacher, I, I was listening to all these quote-unquote great preachers and I found out that some of them were incredible motivational speakers. How many of you have ever heard a motivational speaker? I mean, they just make you want to go out and sell more cookware than Nelson Rockefeller has dollars. Uh, I mean, they'll just tell you that you can run this business from home and make $40,000 a week. I mean, you listen to these guys go on and on, and you, could, you just think you could do anything. But how long does motivational speeches last? Until what you start seeing in your life doesn't match up to the motivational speech. Now, what happens when we get motivated by God's Word to do something? What's the first thing you're going to do? Fail. What's the second thing you're going to do? Ask God to forgive you and try again. Amen? Until God modifies behavior in your life. Now, there's an awful lot of vain jangling in the world. In fact, uh, we had some guy call us from California. He had to leave a message on our phone. Uh, I need to leave a prayer request. Okay. Uh, you can't give it to me? Oh, no, I've got to leave it on the answering machine. And so, okay. And so his prayer request is that, uh, you know, global warming has become a religion in California and they're replacing real truck engines with fake truck engines and... I just pushed number three and deleted the message. It's vain jangling. Yes, global warming is a religion. Because you have to have more faith to believe in global warming than you do to believe in the Word of God. Especially with the coolest, rainiest summer that we've ever had, with the exception of the last two weeks of August. I mean, come on. It's getting ridiculous. 
It was absolutely funny. Sometimes some radio show host traced it everywhere Al Gore went to have a global warming conference. He got snowed out. It was hilarious. Three or four times in a row, he came here to New York City and we got the only snowfall last winter on the days he was coming for his global warming conference. It's, ah, I just love God's sense of humor. Now, don't you? Listen, don't get caught up in those things. It's easy to get caught up in politics. And I mean, there's a lot of hurtful things going on. I always get nervous when a politician talks about fairness and equality. Because that means we're all going to the poorhouse. That is the only type of fairness and equality politicians can give. But listen, I don't want to waste our time talking about politics. I want us to spend our time studying God's Word. Amen? Our forefathers endured great privation and all kinds of tortures and, and, th- and you, we could just spend the whole night telling the stories. But listen, these vain janglers, they talk about things that they don't even understand. And yet they affirm them as if they had come from the very mouth of God. Let's give a couple examples. Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 7. This is from the Pharisees. And uh, this is a passage maybe you are familiar with. And if you are, we'll just zip right through it very quickly here. But uh, Mark chapter 7. And uh, we come down to verse 6. He answered... Well, let's read verse 5, get the question in there. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, saying, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah, or Isaiah, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold, to the, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor thy father... And thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Now, we hear that word, that commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, and we normally go to Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey thy parents. And that is certainly part of honoring your father and your mother. But Jesus is very clear here. The passage is dealing with taking care of your parents when they get old. Taking care of them when they can no longer take care of themselves. That's how you honor your parents. 
Now, does that mean that um, you should uh, quit your job and move in with your parents? Sometimes that is required. Not necessarily, but it means to take care of them, to make sure that they have what they need. But the Pharisees had a tradition. You see, they took part of the Bible where it says you can dedicate a field or you can dedicate something to the Lord. And that's what the word Corbin means. It means dedicated to God or a gift to God. Well, here's how that worked. Certainly, when you um, uh, work and accomplish a task for somebody, you can say, well, I'm going to give all the profit from this job to such and such a cause. But that means you pay for your supplies and you pay for salaries of workers and you pay for all the expenses. Well, it's dedicated to God. He gets all the profit, but... You know, I'm the one that's out there working, so I've got to deduct the wages of the workers, and I've got to deduct... And then, mom and dad come along and say, Son, we're, we're very hard up. We need... Oh, but I can't give you anything. It's all dedicated to God. But he's paying the workers. He's paying himself. He gets to eat. Do you see how wicked that is? And yet the Pharisees wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages on regulations on how they could do all of these things and cheat and swindle honestly. How can you honestly cheat and swindle? I don't know. But they figured it all out. They were not poor people, these Pharisees. They did not lack of this world's goods, but it was all dedicated to God. And when the Roman governor came around looking for taxes and sending his... Oh, wait a minute. I I don't make a penny off of this field. You can't tax this. It all goes to the temple. I mean, just... Do you see what vain... How vain and jangling this, this passage is? And we could go to Matthew chapter 23, Jesus' harshest condemnation of the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, it was one of the very things that enraged them and brought them to the point to where they were crying for His blood just a few days after this. This was uh, Passover week. And uh, we won't take time to read the whole thing, but let's start in verse 16. It says, Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whoever shall swear, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is debtor. Now, here's the way they did it. I promise you, by the temple in Jerusalem, that this car was owned by a little old lady from Pasadena who only drove it to church on Sunday. It is guaranteed top-notch. He's lying through his teeth. It was an old piece of junk that he bought at the auto auction. And he was selling it for a huge profit. And it was going to break down on you and just use... They, I don't know if they had used camel salesmen or whatever. But I mean, they were just lying through their teeth in business deals to cheat you out of money. And he said, I'm not, doing, I'm not telling a lie because I just swore by the temple. Now, if you didn't know 
this, all these interesting little Jewish traditions, you would think, wow, he swore by the temple. He's got to be telling the truth. No, he only had to tell the truth when he swore by the gold of the temple. In fact, you can read some stories where the Roman soldiers would grab a hold of somebody's head and put it up to a sword, and he'd say, I swear by the temple. And uh, said, oh, no, don't listen to him. You make him swear by the gold that's in the temple. Then he'll do what he says. So even some of the Romans had understood the lying and the cheating and all of these things that they were... And Jesus is calling them on that. You see, this is what vain janglers do. They make a way for them to get what they want. You know... promise that if God blesses you in the next 30 days, you're going to send half of it in to Brother Shambach. Now, if I had a name like Shambach, I wouldn't be pulling a sham like that. But, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I actually heard that on the radio one night driving into New York City. You had, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on. You have people today that are going through the Old Testament law and trying to tell Christians how we ought to live, that you ought not eat pork and you ought to not eat seafood and you ought not to do this and you ought not to do that and you ought to worship on the Sabbath day and, and all. And these are, I just covered 50 different religions and a thousand different cults right there in those few sentences. But if we'll go back to Timothy here, uh, we have not lost our way. We're just trying to fill in some information here. It says in verse 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. God's law is good. Read Hebrews chapters 8 through 10. It tells about how good God's law is, but God's grace is much better. Amen? I mean, the fact that we are not to live under the auspices of the law of God, we're to live under His grace And then we have some people going on so far to say that you don't need to confess your personal sins to God. They're all taken care of. No, just obey the Bible. Amen? Follow the Bible. When we sin, we take it to God. Let's live for God day by day. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3 and try to fill in a little bit of this here. It says... O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Let's go down here to verse 9. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evidence, for the just shall live by faith. How many people have you met saying, well, I'm just trying to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm going to get to heaven. Whoa, wait a minute. Have you ever read those Ten Commandments? You break them every day. 
You're not going to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. The law is not there to justify anyone. If we could only teach our politicians that laws are there to condemn wrong behavior, they're not there to stop wrong behavior. If somebody decides they're going to kill someone, they're going to do it. They're not going to uh, say, oh, you know, there's a law that says it's wrong. I'm not going to do that. I like the one bumper sticker I saw years ago. If you outlaw guns, only guns, only outlaws will have them. Uh, I mean, do you think John Gotti said, Oh my, they say it's against the law to have a machine gun. I better not have one. I mean, come on. He had a closet full. He knew exactly what he was trying to do. Laws do not stop people from doing wrong things. And yet, we have Ellen G. White, the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist cult that goes through, and she says, oh, you've got to keep the law and all of these things. She's not using the law lawfully. That's why we reject that religion. Because it is not a lawful use of the law. Now, if you want to know the lawful use of the law, let's go back to 1 Timothy here. Uh, I think Paul gives us one of the most exhaustive lists of sins and it found anywhere in the Bible. It says, knowing this, that the law, verse 9, is not made for a righteous man. And we've been over this in our Sermon on the Mount and on different things. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. Amen. Now, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. What does grace say? Thou shalt not lust. The law says, thou shalt not kill or commit murder. What does grace say? You must forgive your brother in your heart. You cannot hate your brother. Listen, if you're following grace, if you're serving God according to His Word, the law is non-topical. You're not going to be getting anywhere near the law because you're going to be striving to live by grace. Your sins aren't going to get to your fingertips because God's going to take care of them in your heart if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? This is how we are supposed to live. Now, the law, if it's used lawfully, is not for the righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. You know, there are many people that do not even know that God has a law. Well, that's what they say. If we were to look at their lives, we would know that they don't care anything. But it's our job as Christians to remind the lawless that God does have a law. Amen? The Supreme Court is afraid that the Ten Commandments being posted in the public school might influence somebody. That would be wonderful if it did, now wouldn't it? Uh, maybe we could get rid of a little bit of the violence in the public school and a little bit of the, all the other problems that we have there if they would just be influenced by those Ten Commandments. It's for the lawless. It says, for the ungodly and for sinners. It says, for unholy and profane. Now, these are 
quite a list of character traits here. An ungodly person is a person without God. Sinner is someone who lives by breaking God's law. That was an actual term. You'll, you'll see that when the woman came in, the first woman that anointed Jesus' feet with the alabaster box of ointment, she, he, he, the Pharisee that Jesus was eating with, he said, if Jesus were a real prophet, he'd know this woman is a sinner. Her life is characterized by sin. How is a sinner supposed to get convicted of their sin without the law of God? That's what it's for. She got convicted. She came in and she wept upon Jesus' feet. And she anointed them with that ointment. And she wept before and Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because she was convicted of her own sinfulness. How do you know what's wrong? Hey, it's the law of God. There is not one law, there is not one uh, requirement in all of the two and a half million laws that are on the American law books, the federal law books, plus the state that says you can't want what your neighbor has. But God says, thou shalt not covet. Now, how many people started wanting what their neighbor has and decided to help themselves to it? Listen, the law convicts us of sin. Amen? It says, for unholy and profane. Now, if we, I'm not going to take time to go through each one of these terms, but this idea of a profane person is a person that has no respect for things that are holy. We use profane in the term of profanity or foul language today, but many of those profane or words that are included in that term are Bible words that belong to God. When someone pronounces a curse upon you and uses the word damnation or any form of that, There is only one being in the entire universe that has the power of eternal life and eternal damnation. That is God. You ought never, ever use that. God's name is the most common curse word. And they got all kinds of derivatives. Now we go, jeez. I wonder where that came from. Uh, Try Jesus. It's just another form. And now they say, gosh. Oh, I can't say God blank, but I'll, I'll say gosh. Oh, wait, wait a minute, where'd that come from? It's just a substitute. Don't use substitute profanity. Don't take, in fact, Thursday night, we're going to be, uh, we might not get that far, but it says, cast not your pearls before the swine. Don't take the holy things of God and make them common. That is profane. The law tells us about this. It says, For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Now, that's that's a pretty wicked murderer that kill his own parents. 
But we hear about it all over the news today, over and over again. For whoremongers, that's immorality. For them that defile themselves with mankind, that's the sodomites. For men-stealers, that's people who are involved in the slave trade. And there's still an active slave trade right here in New York City. For liars, uh, the Greek word for liar is actually politician. No. uh, But for liars... For perjured persons, boy, we could spend a little bit of time on that, can't we? A perjured person is someone who tells a lie in court, who swears that a lie is true. I mean, how many advertisements? If you could just buy this, you will lose 40 pounds in the first week. Of course, you will be dead, but you will still lose 40 pounds in the first week. I mean, they're just liars, false advertisement. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, here's the summary. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, we come full circle. What did Paul leave Timothy in Ephesus to do? To charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Amen? He said, listen, you look for the things that don't match up with sound doctrine and get them out of the church and out of people's lives. Here's how we work this. According to verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. According to the glorious gospel. If we could just get lost in serving Jesus Christ. Amen? If we can understand that the gospel that Jesus has committed to us is the only, excuse me, the only real good news there is in existence. We could stop worrying about the economy a little bit and trust in Jesus a little more. Paul said, this gospel was committed to my trust. My main work ought to be helping other people find Jesus. Amen? Now, is that just for the pastor? No, it's for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the job of the church. And as a member of the church, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is your job to help people find the gospel, to find the truth, so that they would not. I mean, there are people who find their only reason for living in all of these sins that are listed here. I mean, what would Mick Jagger be without sin? The head of the Rolling Stones. I mean, what, what, what could he do if he were not ungodly? He wouldn't have a job. They'd fire him. They'd say, we don't want to listen to you sing dirty songs anymore if you're not going to live the way you sing. I mean, there are people whose only reason to live is to commit sin. It is our job to take 
the gospel to the world in which we live. And by the way, as Paul charged Timothy, we make no positive gains by compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. We make no... We, we don't accomplish anything by tricking people to come into church. What we have to do is share the gospel. But in order to share the gospel, people have to know that they need it. And in order to know and understand that you need the gospel, you have to understand that you're a sinner and you've broken God's law and you're under God's judgment. Once you understand that, then you can come to Jesus and get His salvation. Once you have His salvation, then your life and our church needs to be fashioned on sound doctrine, not vain jangling. Amen? And that's how we got so far in the book of Timothy. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into our prayer time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask that you would make us sensitive to the vain janglers of this world. There are so many of them. The only way that we can understand this is by getting into the truth of the word of God. We ask that you would burn these truths into our soul and help us to understand and to live in the grace and the goodness of our God. Lord, we do not look down upon the law or despise the law of God because it is good. It has a purpose. It is needful. But Lord, let us live by grace. Let us not attempt to use the law to justify our lives, but be justified by grace, by faith, and to use the law to bring people to Jesus. In your name we pray. And we'll just take a moment. If-